text for the sermon this day is taken from both the gospel lesson and the epistle which you've heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was quite the week for those women. The week began with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as the crowds cheered, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The day after, Jesus would be in the temple, casting out the money changers, tipping over tables, which is a nice reminder if you ever say, do what, what would Jesus do? Remember, that's an option. But then Thursday, he, they have a Passover meal. He institutes a new feast where he gives bread, which he says is his body. He gives wine, which he says is his blood. He washed the disciples' stinky, icky feet. But he also says that one of them would betray him. That evening, that is exactly what would happen. Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus was arrested. He was led away to an illegal trial. Illegal because it happened before, sun, before the sun was up. So under Roman law, it was an illegal trial. And he was mocked, he was humiliated, he was beaten, he was eventually flogged, he eventually was forced to carry a cross down the streets of Jerusalem, a cross to which he was nailed. He died, he was buried. And then there's that Saturday. We don't have anything in the scriptures that tell us really what it was like for them. But imagine, they, what would be going through their minds, everything that happened during that week, especially the last few hours. I mean, Peter, who was supposed to be the strongest of them, denied he even knew who Jesus was. They thought that Jesus is the Christ, and as far as they are concerned, He's dead, and he, he died. Crucifixion, a very convincing means of death. And so they saw this. They saw the bloody mess he became. And so how could he be the Christ if he's dead? You could imagine them thinking. Them sitting in that room, wondering, are the Romans going to come and get us next? So the women come to the tomb in the morning, dark, nice, it was dark still, which by the way, that's kind of why we started out the service in the dark. Whenever I do that, I have to keep people away from the light switches. It's like, they're like what? Oh, they must be forgetting the church is going. But, but anyways, but the, it was dark then to get you into the mindset of what it would have been like for those women. They were coming to the tomb expecting to find a body. And they're coming to anoint that dead body. When they came to the tomb, there wasn't a body. Now their first thought is the thought that you would probably have if you went to go see a grave and the grave was missing, the person was missing. Your first thought is somebody took the body. And that's what the women think. 
They think somebody stole the body, and so they ran all the way back to tell the disciples. John, who, by the way, writes this account, and Peter both run back. John gets there faster because he's a teenager, whereas Peter's about 40. Usually 40-year-olds lose to teenagers in races. So he runs, he gets there first, but he stops and lets Peter go in first out of respect to his, his elder. Peter goes in, and he sees the body is gone. He sees that the linen cloth is folded up. Now, some people make way too much out of this, but very simply, the linen cloth would have been the indicator to them that this is not as simple as a grave robber. A grave robber does not take time to fold the laundry. That is the indicator that something different is happening. But they don't get it. One of the things that a lot of people miss in the Gospel of John is it says that they looked into the tomb and they believed. So people think oh, right away, oh, they believed the resurrection. No, they don't believe that because right afterwards, John says they did not yet understand the scriptures. Meaning, they don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. They believe what the women told them, that the body was missing. That's what they believe. And so they know the body is missing. They don't know where it is. And so they go back to their homes confused. Mary Magdalene stays behind. And she is in tears. She's crying. She's in weeping. And I don't know if you've ever really, really cried. I mean, like a really sad cry. How well can you see when your eyes are filled with tears? You have difficulty, right? Okay, so this is kind of give context as to why when this person comes up to Mary while she's crying, she doesn't know who he is. She thinks he's a gardener. And there's also an even more logical reason. When you go visit someone's grave and somebody comes and talks to you, you do not expect the person talking to you to be the person that's supposed to be in the grave. That's why she does not think it's Jesus. Because as far as she's concerned, Jesus is dead. Dead people don't talk to you. And so she thinks it's the gardener. That's the person that'd be there. It's not until, and this is reflective of a, of a sermon of Jesus, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. It's when he says her name, Mary. You almost, I really wish a movie would one day totally capture this. Because you know there's all these dramatizations of the resurrection and everything. I've never seen anyone that totally captures this. Mary going from thinking he's dead and in a moment realizing he had risen from the dead as he had told them over and over again and nobody got it. The joy she, she would have had. She would, and so it says that she says, Rabboni. So you can imagine her jumping for joy and grabbing hold of Jesus. To give you an image of this, have you ever seen those videos on YouTube or Facebook or maybe seen on the news where somebody is like, maybe they're cheerleading at a football game or maybe they're at a mall and they're wandering through the mall and somebody, somebody that they love 
has been off serving in the military for a long time, and they surprise them. How do they react? For a moment, they're like, is that them? Kind of similar to Mary. And then when they realize who it is, they jump up and they hug them like they're never going to let go. This is what Mary does, and this is something that gets lost in our English, because our English, it says, do not cling to me, but in the Greek, it says, stop clinging to me, which is not Jesus saying, get, get away from me. It's Jesus saying, Mary, I know you're really happy to see me, but I have other things to do. You've got to let go. And that's actually what he says. He's going to have to ascend to the Father. And you, Mary, are going to need to go tell the disciples what you just saw. See, the joy of hers was overflowing. And the joy that is hers is supposed to be ours. It is, we are to have the same joy. But it is not so easy to do so. During the season of Lent, we have a tradition, and this, this is one of those things that happened during Lent for us that kind of op offers up kind of a teaching moment. So one of the things is we as pastors don't always pay attention, closer attention to our music, and we accidentally let a couple alleluias go through in the season of Lent. And so the season of Lent, we pack away the hallelujahs. And there's a reason to this. The reason is, is because during the season of Lent, you're focusing on repentance. You're focusing specifically on your sin. So think of the Ten Commandments. Idolatry. Having any other gods before the true God. Using the Lord's name in vain. Just a simple OMG. That is using the Lord's name in vain. Third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Neglecting to hear God's word, neglecting to attend worship, failing to gather, the failing to continue to gather together with other believers. Fourth commandment, failing to honor your parents or other authorities. Fifth commandment, not honoring the well-being of your neighbor. Sixth commandment, looking lustfully upon another. Seventh commandment, stealing anything, even a bank pen. Eighth commandment, any time you lie. Ninth and tenth commandment, any time you are not content with your life. That's our sin. And see, there was only one thing that could satisfy your sin. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain, as the hymn goes, could satisfy God's wrath. The only one that was sufficient was the sacrifice of Jesus. And so during the season of Lent, we are focused upon what the cost is for our sin. The cost of our sin, the cost of our redemption, was the very Son of God. Because nothing else was enough. When I was in Ochiden, one of the things I would do to try to capture this is we would all, from this first weekend in February till the last work weekend in April, we would only ever use divine service once. And the reason we did this was because you would get to this is the feast for those first couple of weeks. You're like, this is the feast. And then you get to Lent, you notice that 
Help, save, comfort, defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. It's like, wait, what? Especially because there's, they don't have screens. We are a smaller church. So they have the hymnal out, and they're, oh, we've got to skip through. You notice. You notice when you don't sing, thank the Lord, and sing his praise. You notice these hallelujahs going away. And you're like, it's restrained. Focusing on our penitence. And by the way, just as a note, if you say hallelujah during Lent, you are not sinning. It's not about you, something you can or can't do. It's more basically, it's about discipline. It's about training person's mind, forming us spiritually. And the reason is, is because when you got to Easter, you got to Easter and that whole, it's been packed away. You come to Easter and all of a sudden you hear it. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, Alleluia. And then all of a sudden, they just, it's kind of like they've been inside of a volcano, and the volcano just, Alleluia! And it just comes forth, flowing forth, that joyous word. And which, by the way, there is something to that, because in our culture, that word has been horribly abused. We say hallelujah if gas prices are cheap. We're hallelujah if there's an extra donut around. I mean, and by the way, that song by Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, is not a Christian song. It is very erotic. Anything but Christian. See how that word gets used and abused? By the tr- purpose is the church is training our minds, historically, is to train our minds so that when we get to Easter and that word is coming forth, that it's the joy that Christ is risen. That means that your sin, which was nailed to the cross, which was crucified with Jesus, God, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. So when the sin was crucified, when that sin was buried, it did not rise up. Christ rose your sin remained in the grave, and so it is as far as you, from you as the east is from the west. You have full forgiveness, full life in him. But here's where it gets even greater. This is where 1 Corinthians 15 is such a wonderful and important passage. Because when we talk about the resurrection, we talk about our Christian faith, a good verse to keep in mind, or quote by C.S. Lewis, and I've used it before, is good to keep in mind. If, and I'm kind of adjusting it for Easter purposes. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is of absolutely no importance. If Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, It is of absolute importance. One thing Christianity cannot be is of moderate importance. Because here's the deal. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that is a historical fact. It's not a matter of a nice story that we like to hear once a year, And we go back about our lives as if it never even happened. It is historical fact. 
1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 3, Paul writes, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And then he proceeds to tell the very first creed of the church. This creed, even according to atheist scholars, have acknowledged that the dating of this creed is 34 or 35 A.D. Do any of you know when Jesus was crucified? What year? 33. The exact date? April 3rd of 33. So yesterday was the actual anniversary of the crucifixion. April 3rd of 33. So 34? That's only one year later. It is way too early for legend or myth to develop. Legends or myth take 70 to 80 years to develop. One year is way too short. That, these words that he shares already saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And by the way, if you do this starting from Jerusalem, if he did not rise from the dead, do you know what somebody would have found very quickly? They would have pulled out the body and said, yeah, here's the body. He didn't rise. Nobody could ever produce a body. That's why the whole story that the body was stolen was spread, even though the likelihood of a fisherman overtaking centurion soldiers is really slim. It's kind of like, well, modern-day modern random guy on the lake, on the frozen lake on, up at Storm Lake, overtaking a bunch of Navy SEALs. Probably not going to happen. Navy SEALs could kill you in 20 different ways, probably. So it's not going to happen for the body to be stolen. But then he continues. He, said, he talks about these people that Jesus appeared to. He says he appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That is a way of Paul saying... If you don't believe what I'm about to tell you, there are 500 people alive to this day that you can go ask and they will tell you that they saw Jesus physically risen from the dead. Then he mentions James. James was the brother of Jesus. James considered his brother to be out of his mind. He never believed he was the Christ or the Messiah. And yet, he confessed up to the point of his own death that he saw his brother risen from the dead. He even became the head of the church in Jerusalem. So bold was his faith. Paul had everything going for him. Paul was a rock star amongst his people. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. He's a guy that was so well-educated, so well-connected to both the Jewish and Roman worlds, he could have been high priest one day. And to give you an idea as to what the high priest's life was, almost everything was made out of gold. He would have had a sweet life in that level. And yet, he claimed that he saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know what he was doing on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to Damascus with one purpose, to go kill Christians for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. So he knows the consequence 
of being a Christian because he carried out that consequence many, many times. And yet, he threw away everything he had, confessing that he saw the risen Jesus. And by the way, that is the consequence for all the apostles. All of them, by confessing that they saw Jesus risen from the dead, would suffer excruciating pain. Crucified, stoned to death, thrown into cauldrons of burning oil, lit on fire, skinned alive, crucified upside down. Yet none of them would confess that they did not see Jesus risen from the dead. If they were lying at some point, one of them would say, ah, we, we're making this up. You might get one or two people to go through that kind of pain, but to get 12, even the 500, willing to suffer what they did, saying that they saw Jesus risen from the dead, the only way to explain people suffering what they suffer, claiming to a fact, the only way to explain it is that Jesus Christ is risen indeed, in fact, in truth. Your faith is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of preference. Christ is risen indeed, and you, like Mary Magdalene, what did Jesus do? He didn't say, you see, I'm risen. Now, go do whatever. What did he tell her to do? Go tell the brothers. What are you to do? Go tell others. Christ is risen. You are the continuing message. We all are the continuing message. And if you don't think it's urgent, this year is the first year in the history of the United States that less than 50% of the U.S. population has a membership in any church. So that means 50, right now, 52% of all Americans are not Christian. First time in U.S. history. The mission field is all around you. Christ is risen. You are his witnesses. So be a witness. Because if Christ is risen, there is nothing of greater importance. And everything you do in your life comes down to being his servant, being his witness. So again, hallelujah, Christ is risen. <laughs>